great God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I appreciate uh, everyone being here. One verse of scripture while you're standing, Matthew 6 and 24. The Lord was finishing up a parable here and he brings an observation to his disciples no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon and so today we're going to talk about and continue in our lesson about living a blessed life the thought today or the lesson point today is about misplaced trust and if we continue if we're going to continue living a blessed life then obviously we cannot serve two masters let's pray for the lesson thank you for your word today lord thank you for the faith and instruction that it gives let it find good place in our heart good ground that we can grow and be blessed and be more like you when you come we love you today. Bless all that's done. Let it give you glory in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen one more time. And one more hand clap to the Lord before you're seated. I'm thankful he's the Lord of my life. I'm thankful that he's the Lord of my life. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. So I've got to get into the lesson quick, but there's always been something about this scripture. You know, I, I just... I believe in what the scripture says. I don't try to say, well, that's not what he meant or, you know, try to shave it to fit my life. I just look at it like it, like it is. And the fact of the matter is, is if Jesus said it, that settled it, you know, it's it. No man, it doesn't matter how great they think they are. It doesn't matter if they're called, if they're anointed. It doesn't matter uh, if they pastor or if they uh, evangelize or if they sing or if they play. It doesn't matter what else is going on in their life. The qualifier here is this, that no man. So anybody that says, I can pull it off, has deceived himself because no man can serve two masters. You cannot play around in the world and still be okay with God. You cannot uh, give yourself to every other thing on the planet during the week and then live for God on Sunday. That's just not how it works. Uh, we, you know, we, we have most people, just you know, the average person works, you know, the, we have the work week, Monday through Friday, working nine to five. And then you know, it's always can't wait for the weekend. That's my time. And that's when I, you know, but but it's not like that with God. You can't say I, I've got a time clock that I punch with God and then I can take off and have my own time. And, and uh, no man can serve two masters because here is exactly what will happen. You're going to hate one of them and love the other. And I can tell you this, that uh, from what I've seen in my years living for the Lord, when someone tries to do both, they always choose the world. Because you can't bring the world in to where God's at. So they have to uh, have less and less of God in their life. And so whenever they decide they're going to try to serve two masters, 
they start getting farther and farther and farther away from the Lord because they know the things they're doing in the world God does not approve, approve of. They, they start having conviction, and then they get defensive, and then they just quit coming to church. They get tired of trying to live for both, and they walk away. That's what he said. You'll cleave to one uh, and hold on to one and despise the other. You'll, they'll hold on to that and walk right away from church. Not, they're not church hurt. They just decided, hey, I, I want to live for the world. And uh, they, they, they use what God has done in their life previously to justify it, but it don't. Well, I was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay, but you still walked away. And you've got to understand that if you're going to live a blessed life, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. You've got to uh, serve him and love him with all of your heart, everything that's within you. You can have no other gods before him. There's a narrative in our scripture today uh, because of what we'll be talking about uh, kind of gives us a view into a day of the life of Lot and Abram. We read this story in the scripture, but this narrative goes along kind of with that day where Lot had been rescued by Abram. It says, a tear rolled down his cheek as he pulled his family closer. He had never been prouder of his uncle and was once again astounded by his guiding principles and sterling character. Here they were in the Valley of Kings, engaging in conversation with some of the most powerful kings in the region, and Abram was unrattled and unintimidated. Lot glanced around at the barren hills that were peppered with caves, like the ones in which the Dead Sea Scrolls would be discovered 4,000 years later. The valley was hundreds of feet below sea level, the lowest place on earth. He could see the tar pits into which many of his fellow countrymen had recently waited only to be bogged down and defeated. Just days before, a coalition of four kings had clashed with another coalition of five kings. The king of Sodom and his comrades had been defeated and spoiled. Among those taken captive were Lot and his family. In an act of heroism, Abram, Lot's uncle, arrived with over 300 men to recover Lot, his family, and all that King Kedorlaomer and his allies had taken. It was magnificent, a sacrificial endeavor that deserved great reward. Lot observed the surprise on the faces of everyone at the historic meeting as the king of Salem, who had come to congratulate Abram, presented Abram with bread and wine and declared, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Then the grateful king of Sodom began offering Abram all the spoils of the battle and a token of his gratitude. But Abram declared, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or a sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies uh, Anur, Eskal, and Mamre. But that was not the end of it. After refusing to take the king's reward, Abram turned to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, and gave him a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered. Lot knew that he was witnessing the action of a great man of faith who completely trusted in the Almighty God. To this day, people of faith express their trust in God by giving a tithe. 
In doing so, they are joining Abram in saying, I put God first and I rely on him for my provision. Incidentally, the next chapter records God's famous promise to bless Abram. The story highlights Abram's philosophy of life, that Abram is, and Abram is the premier example of a blessed life. He left all to follow God. He refused to rely on man, and he tithed to God. As a result, Abram became rich in power and property, and eventually he became one of the most famous figures in world history because he was rich in faith. Abram was a man who faithfully lived out the principle that Jesus would express thousands of years later when he said, no man can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Abraham is the father of faith for a reason. And uh, we can look back at him and see his life. And, and we've preached from so many different areas of his life, talking about the faith he had. So why not in his faith in giving to God? It's not, this is not going to just be a lesson, hey, let's empty your purses out, so don't get worried. But this is how to live a blessed life because nobody feels like they're blessed when they're struggling uh, or under the curse of money. It's just they don't feel like that. And Jesus, the warning that he gave about money is, is now is famous, most likely because millions of people have witnessed what happens to those who become a servant to money. Now, nothing wrong with having money. There's something wrong with becoming a servant to money. Uh, there are a few descriptive statements listed here about money, and so you can hear these and then maybe think of some other things that you might think about money. It is common. It has a bad odor and is often dirty and unsightly. It, money does carry a lot of germs, changes a lot of hands. I have seen or heard of people eating it burning it, burying it, throwing it away, searching for it, falling in love with it, hating it, trading it for their best friend, trading it for their family, living for it, dying for it, working for it, and lying for it. It makes people smile. It makes people laugh. It makes people celebrate. It makes people cry. It makes them hate. It makes them steal, and it makes them kill. It can't buy you love. It is cited as the number one key to happiness and the number one cause of divorce. It is highly valued, but not really valuable in itself. Jesus spoke about it more than any other subject because it so accurately reflects the hearts of men. Money can be a wonderful resource for good, and it can also be the source of great sorrow. You know, we, we take offerings because we want to see the kingdom further, because it's, you can't get away from it. It takes money to make things go. So when we have uh, missions and we have uh, services or we have evangelists and people come through or we have uh, a building to buy, or things, you know, it takes money. You can't buy it with fruits and vegetables and you can't, you can't buy it on your good looks. It's, it takes money. People want, they, they may like you. They may think you're number one, but they're not going to give it away. It's got, there's always going to be a cost. It takes money, and money can be wonderful when it's used for good. Uh, being in services where we have been before at conferences and, and watching them taking up, you know, a million dollars 
in one night for missions is incredible. Watching the faces of those missionaries who have been struggling on deputation all of a sudden get a word that says, hey, you're going back to the land you're working in and see that joy on their face and the tears that are flowing, priceless. So it, it can be used for good, but it can also be the source of great sorrow. As an inanimate object, uh, money is neutral. Money has no say in, in what it does. If you have a $10 bill, it doesn't tell you what to buy. It doesn't tell you what to do with it. It's, it's what's in your heart is what you'll do with it. Somebody might say, I'm going to buy all the drugs I can buy with $10. Somebody might say, I'm going to give my $10 to the man on the corner so he can get something to eat. You know, it's in, what's in your heart, what you do, with the, and the $10 don't carry the way because it, it's in your hand to do with it what you want to do, and whatever you do with it will reveal what's in your heart. And so uh, we see Paul wrote this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. He said, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now I will say this is probably the most misquoted verse in the whole Bible. Love, or there's a bit of, money is the root of all evil. It can't do nothing by itself. It's got to have something that activates it, and it's love. And if it's the love of money, then it's the root of all evil. If it's the love for the kingdom, it can be the root of all good. Because uh, it's, um, if you, your heart's after the kingdom of God and you love God more than anything else, that, that dollar's got a destiny. It's going, it's going to help the kingdom or help further the kingdom or do what's right. But if you just love the money, I got to get all I can get, root of all evil, because it's like you'll stop trying to get it naturally in the right way before long, and you'll be, how can I steal? How can I lie? How can I covet? How can I get all I want? How come I don't have as much as them? And, and you become consumed with uh, trying to get all of it. So the love of money is the root of all evil, which... While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. The love of money can cause you to lose your walk with God. It can hurt your walk with Him. It cause you to err from the faith. I'm sure he may, maybe he didn't know it, but maybe he was talking about uh, men of God that one time preached the truth, but so that they could keep bringing in the, the big offering, they had to uh, get off some of those standards and had to get off some of those doctrines so that people would show up and give. They, uh, I, I got to keep them so I got to water down what I preach so they won't leave. Got to preach the truth. And so uh, it says they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So we see that while money can be a good thing, it can also be a destructive thing. The love of it can be, not the money in itself. Uh, there's never been a single dollar bill that ever pulled a trigger or used a knife, but people have pulled a trigger and used a knife for the love of it. I'll give you $15,000 if you'll kill so-and-so or, uh, you know, and, and somebody's like, hey, that's an easy 15. I can get away with it. And they kill somebody just for the money. 
We see people do whatever they want to for money when they get into gambling habits. And now all of a sudden they're trying to win so much money, but they keep losing, and now they owe more money than they could ever win. And so they'll steal and lie, and, and that's why you see insurance fraud and things like that and uh, bank robberies and people giving every last dollar trying to win on the scratch off because they just like, I got to have money. Got to have money. And so the love of it can destroy us. And, and when we love it, we become its servant. The scripture says that, uh, you know, that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Proverbs 22 says, uh, it actually says he's a servant to the lender, but sometimes people think, well, that just means I'm like an employee, so there's benefits to that. No, it's the, that word means you're a slave. You're owned by that person. It, you're, you're a slave to the borrower and so, uh, or to the lender. And so we have to be careful, and we try to instill this in, in young people as they're coming up, and not even so much uh, where we're talking about our tithing and offerings is just that, listen, don't get yourself into a place where all you do is pay bills. Is that you are only working to pay people. House note, rent, car note, insurance, credit cards. Now, some things got to be had, and I know that a mortgage is almost un, un you, you can't it's unavoidable just about you got you got to have a place to live. So I get that, but but credit cards, and store cards, and personal loans, and things like that. And I was like, well, they, you know what what I hear, well, Pastor. I, I know I haven't been paying my tithes or giving an offering, but you know, my, my car note and my credit cards are eating me up. Why are you telling me? I don't, I don't say you owe, you don't have to pay, you don't owe an amount to attend church. But don't ever say you can't pay your tithes. You may have spent your tithes, but you can, you can pay them. What I'm saying is that don't get yourself in such a fix that you can't write that check on Sunday if you want to, or if you really want to give because you really would love to help missions, but you can't do it because every dollar you've got is already accounted for. When your check goes in the bank, it's already written out. You have overextended yourself. You have become a servant or a slave to the dollar, and you've got, you're, you feel like this is all I can do. I don't want to have to try to serve two masters. Because you know what the funny thing is, is that even over things like that, people will stay out of church because they, I actually had somebody one time said, I hadn't been coming to church because I can't pay my tithes. And I said, there's no Bible for that. Well, I just feel bad. Well, that's just you feeling bad. I said, but there's no reason to stay out of church. I said, so... What you're telling me is this, is that when you catch up on all your stuff and you can start paying again, you'll start coming back. So in other words, when you get your life in order, you'll come back to church. I said, how many times have we told people that said, because they had an addiction or a problem, that said, well, once I get things straightened out in my life, I, I'm going to come to church. And we said, that's not what you do. You come as you are. I said, it's the same way. They said, oh, I didn't ever think about it like that. I said, you well, it's the same, so you need to be here next week. <laughs> and they were. And I thank the Lord for it. But, but it's just like, you know, don't let, 
become such a, a slave, even turn what could be and what should be used for good into something that would keep you out of church. That's not what God wants. He wants you to be in the house of the Lord. Listen, God's going to take care of the house. And so don't ever uh, let, you, let yourself be uh, lied to and lied to yourself thinking, well, I can't go to church because I can't give in the offering. Don't ever do that in case you've thought of that. Don't do it. So uh, money, again, can be a great resource. There's uh, a man by Brother John Hanson. He had a couple of stories to tell about each side of this. He said in his early teens, a family with several children his age relocated to his town and started attending his church. He said the father was a company executive, and he made more money than anyone he had uh, ever known. Several years later, promotion uh, took the family to another city, but while they were at our church, he said, I saw them use their resource and influence to help many people. I will never forget the night that one of their sons received the Holy Ghost. After the service, they invited 30 to 40 people to a local restaurant and then picked up the tab. In time, I was employed by his business for several years while working my way through college. And so he said, we can probably all think of people who manage their money well, invested sacrificially in the kingdom and their projects, and then changed the destinies of countries, communities, and families. So you can have money and you just realize, hey, it's here for a little while. Use it for good. He said, also in my teens, I had a friend that came in with some money. Due to a government settlement, when he turned 18, he was given access to thousands of dollars, which is rare for the government to give up money. Uh, I fully expected him to use that blessing to pay for college or invest for the future. Instead, he spent impulsive, impulsively, started skipping church so he could enjoy his windfall. And to my knowledge, he never returned to a life of faith. He said, that memory stands as a reminder that money tends to reveal a person's heart and it can draw people into things that can be detrimental to their souls. If any sin, we talk about, man, that sin, that drinking, that whatever, it can pull you into a place that you can never get out of, so can the love of money. It can draw you into a place that you can't uh, get out of. Now, Jesus taught more about money than any other topic, not about how to obtain it. But he talked more. His teaching was designed to help people understand that the mismanagement of money can create more problems than it solves. He was not given a course on how to build wealth. He was talking about uh, and warning, man, listen, I know how men are. And I'm telling you what men will do. He said, I'm trying to teach you that if you mismanage money and have the wrong outlook at money and love money more than anything else, it creates more problems than it will ever solve. We do not have to look far to find evidence that money does not make a life full or meaningful. You know anybody that's got, just got a lot of money but they're miserable? Uh, you ever know anybody that just had millions and millions and, and then you read about them or see about them on the news that they took their life? Yeah. Or they ended up in prison or they end up in a rehab place because it doesn't fill your life. It's not going to fulfill what only God can fulfill. That's why it says it is better to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There's something about being able to, to give out because you're more like God when you're giving uh, than receiving. Oh, it's nice to receive. Don't get me wrong. When you have a need and a blessing comes your way, but you know why that blessing came your way? Because you're a giver anyway. 
You give and it shall be given to you. And so if it's given to you, you're receiving. So, but give and watch how God can move and use what you do. So for thousands of years, stories of the rich and famous have demonstrated that when money becomes the master, people will do things that they never imagined doing. Uh, but still, money's not the issue. The issue is lordship. What do you give control in your life? For whoever you yield your members to serve, that's whose servants you are. And when you give your life up and yield it to just serve the dollar, then you become a slave to the dollar and to the money and to the uh, acquisition of it. I got to get all that I can get. I can't, I can't live if I don't have this much money. I can't do it. But you could. I'm not trying to be Dave Ramsey up here. I'm not trying to teach a financial peace seminar, but, but I'm telling you that people could if they could learn to just live and not always be hungry for something new and something else and, uh, you know, uh, and just be satisfied. The scripture said be content with such things as you have. You know, godliness with contentment is great gain. That was actually in that scripture where Paul was writing to Timothy. It was just above where he talked about the love of money is the root of all evil. So, in uh, Luke chapter 12, Jesus was asked uh, a question that uh, got a strong reaction followed by a story from which he uh, pointed out some important lessons about money and lordship. So in Luke chapter 12 in verse uh, 13, uh, one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he will divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. In other words, it was clear to the Lord that the real enemies were greed and the misconception that our worth is determined by how much we own. Perhaps the real lesson here is that true riches come from aligning ourselves with God's kingdom and that all riches in the world have no eternal value. Tell them to give to me. Tell going to God, hey, make sure I get my share. Make sure I get my part. And the Lord said, hey, the stuff y'all do with y'all's money, that's not up to me. You'll make your own decision about it, what you do with it. I'm not uh, a judge or a divider over you guys. That's, that's your thing to work out. And if your heart's right, you'll do the right things. But if you, your heart's not right, there'll be greed and, and covetousness, and I got to have mine, and I got to get my share, and and so Jesus then moves on and tells a parable that describes the way that many people think. And in doing so, he sets his audience up for uh, probably a, a twist in the end, a, a disappointing conclusion. But in Luke 16 through 19, he goes on to say, he speaks a parable unto them saying that the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no rooms where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and will build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits, all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's what a lot of people are trying to accomplish. I just want all. And, and, and you even uh, as you begin to fill up your barns and fill up your bank accounts and fill up these things, you start thinking, look what I've done. I said to my soul, just take it easy now. Let's, we're going to sit back and do nothing. You know what happens when you get full? You're going to take a nap. 
Oh, you know, somebody at the table, it's going to happen. If you go to lunch after church and you've stuffed yourself, somebody's going to say, whoo, I can't wait for my nap. (laughs) Because when you eat like that, you know what you don't want to do when you're full? Run a race. And the Lord said, we're running a race. (laughs) But you know, yeah, go on out there and try to run a, a race. Oh, after you've been to the buffet. You're going to be sick. It's going to, it's going to go against you. Uh, you know, there's some things that, uh, that happen when we get full like that. The Lord always warning his people about that. Even Israel, he said, listen, you need to beware because you're going to come into a land and you're going to live in cities you didn't build. You're going to eat from fields that you didn't harvest. You're going to be blessed by things. You're just going to walk into it. He said, you need to be careful that after you get full, that you don't forget the God that brought you out of Egypt. And so the problem with having a self-sufficient mentality like this farmer does here is that it will cause you to forget God. What did Paul write to Timothy? It'll cause people to err from the faith. Well, forgetting God, that's about as erring from the faith as you can get. It's when you forget to give God the glory and the thanks for the things that you do have. What if he'd have took that stuff and said, man, I've got so much, there's no way I can have it all. Let's, let's get some people over here that, that are poor, that are needy, that got to have something. He begins to distribute because you know that's the way Jesus was. He wants people to take care of the poor, to look after those, to look after one another. And so finally, I'm sure all the people are like, whoo, they're probably thinking, man, I wish I was like that guy. I wish I had all that. But then Jesus is going to drop the hammer because he's going to bring God into the equation to see what God has to say about uh, this man's attitude. And in verse 20, God speaks up and says, You fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall have these things which you have provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so a person uh, is equated to a fool when he's only laying up stuff for himself, but he is not rich toward God. You cannot uh, just live for yourself and bring stuff in for yourself. You've got to have faith in God. And when you serve the Lord, your attitude toward giving and, and generosity changes. When you live in the flesh, the flesh is selfish. No man ever yet hated his own flesh. The flesh is selfish. And uh, whatever you, person does in the flesh, we got to think, oh, it was terrible, it was tragic. Yeah, but it was, uh, in a way, it was selfish because they made the decisions in their flesh to do that, it, whether it hurt them or helped them. Uh, so when we live for God and we give our life to Him and we're living by the Spirit and we're walking by faith and walking in the Spirit and uh, you avoid covetousness and greediness and jealousies and envies and all these things that lead uh, to wanting things that are not yours, Got to have more, got to have more, got to have the most. Uh, you know, somebody said one time that whoever dies with the most toys wins. Whoever dies with the most toys just dies. And then there's an estate sale. And, and somebody else has got your stuff sitting on their shelf until they die. It's, you know, somebody's going to make money off what you already paid for. It, it's it's going to happen. Uh, it's not about how much can we get for ourselves. I don't want to be controlled. I don't want the love of money to eat me up. I do not want to be a servant or a slave to money or to the way I approach obtaining money. The key to true prosperity and freedom comes as a result of holding resources properly. That's natural stuff. I mean, being a good steward. 
uh, when believers handle their resources uh, according to Scripture, the result is a blessed life, free from vice and worry. And although our opening story about Melchizedek is often used to teach tithing, the bigger point of the story is that Abram relied on God for everything and was willing to acknowledge God in everything, and that is why he lived such a blessed life. Don't take that story and, and really kill it by just saying it's only about tithing. See what Abraham's motivation was, his faith and trust in God to provide whatever he needed. Uh, you know, that's why Abram lived such a blessed life. We've mentioned, you know, people doing scratch-offs and lotteries and things like that, and and honestly, yeah, I, I don't think people ought to play the lottery. I think it's, uh, I don't believe in gambling, and I believe the lottery is gambling. Now, if you play that, I'm not mad at you. I just think you're throwing money away. It's just, that's, maybe that's my opinion, but it's a waste. And it's also aggravating to be standing in line behind somebody buying 68 lottery tickets. I just want to pay for my green tea. This guy's spending $4,000 on scratch-offs. Come on, man. Just ring my tea up. You know, or either you pay for it, whatever. It's just, I've, I've watched people with a fistful of $100 bills that could pay bills or could do something else, and they bought a little old card. Silly. Well, you say it's silly unless you win. But how much more money have you wasted? And what are the odds of you really winning anything? It's just not worth it. That's why it's gambling. And, and you need to, what if you just took that $100? Because God said if you give it, it'll be given back. That's a guarantee. That's not gambling. That's not the lottery. That's, that's the word of the Lord. Give it, it shall be given. I've heard testimony over testimony. And people sitting in this church, in this congregation right now that said, uh, all I had was $20 in my pocket. The Lord moved on me in that service to give that 20 before I got out the door. Somebody had given me 60. Yeah, because God will always give back. God knows what he's doing. Uh, so, uh, but lottery winners, are, you can research that, look up stories, and almost uh, just every time, tragedy after tragedy after still, Now they're broke, as broke as they were before they won. And worse off, some of them, because they're in, in jail for tax evasion and things like that because they don't pay taxes. They win all that money. They don't pay any taxes. And now they're going to jail. There's a, a writer, uh, a columnist by, named Jim Bishop in, from New York, and he said uh, the McGugarts, I would have changed my name if I won the lottery, I think, uh, McGugarts of New York won the Irish sweepstakes, and they were happy. So if you run into any McGugarts in Ireland, uh, see if they got any money. They said, Pop was a steam fielder, fit, fitter. Johnny, 26, loaded crates on a dock. Tim was going to night school. But they won the lottery, a million dollars. Pop decided to split the million with his sons. They all said, hey, this money ain't going to change us, ain't going to change our plans. One year later, the million dollars wasn't gone, but it was working destructively in their lives. The boys weren't speaking to Pop or each other. Johnny was chasing expensive race horses. Tim was catching up with expensive girls. Mom accused Pop of hiding his stash from her. Within two years, every one of them were in court for non-payment of income taxes. The mom finally said, it's the devil's money. And both boys are studying hard how to become alcoholics. A million dollars didn't buy nothing but jail time. 
That's an expensive sentence right there. I want a million dollars. Oh, that's great. What'd you buy? Jail? I bought jail. I bought a ticket to the prison. Oh, my goodness. So we see it happens. All these people hoped and prayed for sudden wealth, and when they got it, all their prayers were answered, they thought, but they were wrecked on a dollar sign. Destroyed them. Jesus begins uh, after he had talked about this, this man with the barns and different things. He turns to the disciples to give them the moral of the story in, in Luke 12, 22. Um, he says to his disciples, Take therefore, I say unto you, no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, taking a thought, can add to his, uh, his stature one cubit? If then you be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? God is going to take care of us. The bottom line is do we trust him enough to do that? Oh, I trust him for healing. I just don't trust him with my bank account. I trust him to wash all my sin away, but I don't trust him with my wallet. Come on. We've got to walk by faith in every area. And again, this is not a shakedown. I'm trying to get you to see uh, what, the, what it's teaching us here as disciples, how to, how to live a blessed life. Uh, you're going to always have something not quite right as long as you're tight-fisting that dollar and you're, you, you can't give, you can't help, you, you, you won't release that blessing in your life. Jesus said, when you give, your Father which sees in secret, secret will reward you openly. God's going to bless. He said, try me and see. I'll pour out a blessing that you can't contain it. There's scripture after scripture. He's not saying give every single penny you've got so, where, so you can't do what you've got to do. He knows part of that money is going to you. It's going to be yours. But you've got to be able to give and, and be used in that. Sometimes that's how God uses you to further the kingdom. And hey, it may not be $100, it might be $10. Because if you're part of 100 that give 10, well, there's 1,000. It, it all works together. Don't, don't think that it's all hinging on you. It's like people who say, well, I don't vote because my one little vote don't count. Well, I don't give because my, my couple of dollars ain't going to matter. But Jesus watched a woman cast in two mites and said she's giving more than anybody because she just gave what she had because it was her faith and her dependency on God. So, so don't ever, uh, you know, my, my 50 cents ain't going to matter. It might. Because if we have a bill that is $100.50 and we only take in $100, we're 50 cents short. And you know what? You can't go up and say, hey, can y'all just knock that 50 cent off? I don't have that. No, I can't knock it off. And some people will even penalize you over that 50 cent. Yeah. Tell the IRS, I, I can't pay that 94 cent. I sent you, the, I, you know, I had to just round it down. I don't have that much. Well, you owe it. And I don't want the interest rate on 94 cents from anybody else. You know, you got to have it. 
And so maybe what you give is enough to make it happen. So when you when you in your heart, you're not you don't say, oh, I'm ashamed to just throw in fifty cent. Why? Is that what you got? Give what you got. Let God bless it. If He can take a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread and feed five thousand, He'll tell them what He can do with uh, your two little silver coins. Come on, somebody. Get you, get get the attitude right about it. It's faith. I'm giving Him faith. I got to get going. Let's see, Jesus' his story could be summarized by the iconic phrase, trust and obey, because God can handle our needs. We are valuable to him, and worrying is pointless. The only people who do not, only people who do not belong to God need to worry. Believers are supposed to relax in their Father's care, and from this position of trust we can pray for provision and then move forward in obedience and faith. Obedience will often include passing those provisions on to others. Sometimes it's you giving. God will help us to learn to treasure him and people rather than money and power. What's God care more about, people or money? Yep. So God will help us to learn to treasure him and people rather than money and power. He does this by putting us in situations where we must depend completely on him and give whatever he asks. It's the same story that we've talked about several times lately the widow woman that was making the, the had a little meal and a little oil, but the prophet said, make for me first, and let's see what happens. And she did it by faith, and look what happened. Continued to, to be blessed, because God wasn't going to let her starve. You're not going to do something for the Lord, and God's going to say, well, you shouldn't give that. You shouldn't give that $10 to the kingdom, because I'm just going to take it, but I can't give nothing back. God will bless you over and over again. Jesus went from verse 29 to 34 saying this, um, Seek not what you shall eat or what you will drink, neither be of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. God knows what you need. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have. And give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. For where your treasure is, and this is what sums it up, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he said, when you have that generous spirit and you're of a given spirit, you're going to provide yourself a treasure. You're going to provide yourself with bags that never get old. They're gonna, it's going to always be uh, putting out. It's going to always be good. And, and when you give, God's going to always give back. God's going to bless. So Abraham was first in faith and first in paying tithes. He gave 10% of all his increase. Tithing was a statement of faith, trust, and submission to God, not just a law to be kept because there was no law. Uh, people say, well, I don't give because that was in Moses' day. I said, before Moses, Abraham was given. So it was uh, his attitude, his faith toward God. How we handle our finances is one way of indicating who we serve, and we should be serving Christ alone in every area of our life. When we serve him, our lives will be blessed beyond more than we can measure. Honey, you can come on to the music. When we think about the story of the rich young ruler, we can only imagine but be fairly certain that heaven was rooting for him. Because people want to see people, heaven wants to see people right with God. 
He had a great job, a significant political post, and he, a great deal of money. But God was interested in what was in his heart. And upon hearing about Jesus, the young man sought him out. The Gospel of Matthew records the conversation that this good, moral young man had with Jesus. He told Jesus about his clean living, and then he asked what else he needed to do to inherit eternal life. He was ready to do whatever good deed necessary. But Jesus saw into the young man's heart and knew the issue with him was not works, but trust. So he declared, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then take up the cross and follow me. All of heaven held its breath. The disciples listened intently. Would this young man who had been so religious and diligent go all the way? Would he be willing to trust God in more than riches? When the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had great possessions. Unfortunately, this is a scene that has been repeated millions of times. This young man's life-changing decision prompted Jesus to say something that would become one of the most quoted passages in the Bible. I'll tell you the truth, that it is very hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus' comments so troubled the disciples that they wondered, who then can be saved? Is it even possible? But Jesus reassured them, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Trust is the only way for a blessed life. It is possible, but only with God's help. And God can only help those who are willing to trust Him with everything. Somebody said, God will do it, but only if you let Him. You got to let Him do it. You got to let Him. Let's stand this morning. It's so easy in this day and time to get feel like there's things that are out of our control that trip us up, hold us up, hold us back. But this is one area of life that is not out of our control. We can make the decisions to live scripturally and to give scripturally, to, to live according to the scripture and see what God, trust him in this. You want to see angels, want to see miracles, want to see healings, want to see blessings, want to see revival. Well, you want to see all those kind of things, you've got to have faith in every area. And I think that in praying, giving, and fasting, that's part of it. And so a church should never be in the shakedown business. A preacher should never beg for money. Ministry should never have to beg for money. But when the children, when the body, have their attitude correct about that part of living for God, every need will be taken care of. That's, if, if we're Book of Acts church, that's part of Book of Acts. In the same chapter that we read about being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, you're going to read about people have, supplying needs for others, making sure that nobody lacked, making sure everybody had what they needed. So uh, it happens. And that, that was a great revival. That'll be part of our revival too. I believe that. And I'm thankful for a church that's giving. We've, we've blessed missions and, and revival evangelists and things over and over and over. We've helped people and been able to. And God is always taking care of our needs. Gave us a building like this that, uh, you know, really we weren't that large of a congregation when we were able to get this, but the price came to a point where we could do it. We've been able to always pay our bills. We've not had to be, we, we have not been late on any payments that we've ever had. 
we've always covered it, whether it was utilities, mortgage, whatever, always got it. And sometimes it looked like, whoo, we're fixing to scrape the bottom for this next payment. And always, always, I'm telling you, I'm not even kidding, every single time somebody walks in the church and says, hey, here, uh, wouldn't it be on a Sunday when we was taking off and walk in my office and say, here, and hand the check and be three, four, five, ten thousand dollars just like that. And I'm like, whew, <laughs> whew, because it was close. And I was thinking, hmm, going to leave the air off this week if something don't happen. So anyway, God will take care of us, won't he? Let's lift our hands and thank him and pray. Lord, we love you and thank you because you provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Help us to be faithful in every area of our life. Lord, we want to be faithful in prayer. Lord, we want to be faithful in showing mercy and loving people and, and things that we, I know we, we, we set these in importance, but Lord, we want to be faithful in our attitude toward giving to the kingdom because we know, Lord, that we could be uh, tripped up at any time by this stuff. So help us to have the right attitude so we can be more like you and see blessings in our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Give the Lord a hand for his word today. Appreciate the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. God bless you. And let's get ready. We're going to celebrate and worship and give honor to our mothers in this next service. But let's find a place to pray before the next service.